We're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, and verses 35 to 41. Uh, This is a a passage that Paul has chosen for us as we reflect uh, in these days. And it's uh, from the English Standard Version. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. We thank God for his word to us, and Cole is going to share that word to us. Fear is a subject that uh, features in the titles of many books. I've selected a few here on my laptop. Michael Grant, for example, reached the New York bestseller list with the book Fear, while T.M. Edwards also published a book with that single word title, Fear. Former SAS officer Ant Middleton has written a book about overcoming fear called The Fear Bubble. One of my favourite authors, Robert Harris, recently published an audio novel which is called The Fear Index. Some years ago I read a really excellent novel by another of my favourite authors, Michael Crichton, which was called The State of Fear. And in fact, as a teenager, one of my very first novels I ever read was by the writer, the Scottish writer, Alistair MacLean. And that book was called Fear is the Key. And I believe that Alistair MacLean is correct. Fear is the key. It's the key to so many things that limit us as humans and stop us being the people that God has called us to be. Fear is a common emotion and In this passage we've just read, fear looms out of the darkness of the Sea of Galilee and comes screaming into the view in the words of Jesus' fearful disciples. When they shake him and say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're shouting at him above the noise of the storm. Jesus, wake up! Why are you so uncaring, so not involved in what's happening around you? Perhaps you too have shouted these words at Jesus as you face some personal crisis or some storm. The thing is, this journey started so well. Jesus had been teaching the people on the hillside and there wasn't a cloud in sight. It had been a good day and the Sea of Galilee was calm. But the thing about the Sea of Galilee is this, it's one of the lowest bodies of water in the world. It sits at 212 metres beneath sea level. And normally the winds on this particular lake are strongest during the morning and and particularly during the afternoon. 
when the heat of the sun cooks the air just above the water itself, and then the cool wind comes off the Golan Heights and the other hills surrounding the lake, and then mixes with the, the warmer air of the lake, and of course then turbulence occurs, occurs and sudden squalls appear. This is why most fishing upon this lake was conducted during the hours of darkness, during the evening, as the water tended to be still with very little wind. So Jesus said to his people, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So they embark on this journey on quiet waters after a busy day, so busy in fact, for Jesus quickly falls fast asleep. Yet these calm waters are quickly whipped into a frenzy by a sudden storm. And this quiet journey suddenly becomes a terrifying situation. In fact, Mark records for us in verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. We've been told in verse 35 it, it was already dark. And they were on that great, vast body of water and suddenly the calm around them begins to rock and heave and the lake becomes a violent and vicious animal beneath them, threatening to topple them into the sea, to overwhelm them. Mark tells us the boat was already filling. The very thing that was meant to keep them above the waves was beginning to fill with the sea. And even those experienced men of the water, the fishermen, Andrew, Peter, James and John, they, these fishermen, these men of the water, were beginning to panic. They knew that most storms occurred during the day on this lake, which is why they fished at night. And they also knew that a night storm was particularly serious. This was a serious situation. It was a scary situation, like the situation many of us find ourselves in our nation, in this world, facing a virus that we can't control, that's out there, an unseen enemy. And where was Jesus in this? Where was he? We're told that he was a tired saviour. This is where Jesus was. He was during the height of his terror. Mark tells us in verse 38, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, the bosun's cushion. If facing a terrible storm isn't bad enough, it seems infinitely worse when we seem to be facing it alone. When our God, our Saviour, our friend is with us, he's asleep, not in the same state as us. Note that Jesus geographically was in the same boat. Locationally, he was only a few feet away from these worried and desperate disciples. But emotionally, he was in another universe. They were panicking, he was sleeping. They were shouting, he was slumbering. And it's easy in this situation to join with the disciples' cry of fear and shake him and say, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Perhaps some of you today shout this at Jesus. Do you not care, Jesus, that we are perishing? And we think that his silence is an indication he's asleep, unconcerned, callously uncaring. But note, Jesus is in their boat. He's not miles away above the sea, above the storm, above the danger. If this boat sinks, then he too will go down with it. 
The difference between Jesus and his disciples is that Jesus is not facing this storm with fear. You see, fear is a terrible thing. It does things that can damage and hurt us and hurt others. Franklin D. Roosevelt knew this. So when he was elected president and his country was in a state of deep fear during the depth of the Great Depression, he sought to encourage the nation in his inaugural address on the 4th of March, 1933. He said these words. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. He said the only fear thing we have to fear is fear itself. You see, we have to battle fear, to fight it, or it will overwhelm us and hurt us and hurt our communities. During this coronavirus, there seems to be two types of people around. There are those who are panicking and making things worse by selfishly stripping the shelves of medicines, toilet rolls, and other things that people depend upon. These people are letting fear win. They're treading on others in the stampede to save themselves. Then there are our medical workers, our nurses, doctors, cleaners, and surgery staff who face the virus day by day, overcoming their fear to serve their communities. There are those stuck in our shelves, transporting food, producing the food, providing transport to support us, who can't work from home and are out there working for us. People, there is nothing to fear but fear itself. But sadly, too many people give in to fear and they panic. My concern is it's not so much a pandemic as a panic-demic, and people are letting their emotions run away with them. The ancient Greek god Pan was said to be a mischievous god. He was the inventor of the panpipes, and when he wasn't playing these, he would often get up to mischief and like nothing more than sneaking up on sheep to scare them. So shepherds believed that whenever their flocks got spooked, it had been done by the god Pan. And the expression they used for spooked sheep was they had been panicked, panicked by the god Pan. The problem is when sheep panic, it's often the, the flock that gets hurt as a result. Sheep run blindly off cliffs and get trapped. They run blindly away from danger to become lost, to fall prey of hunger or predators. They get caught in bogs or hung up on wire. All because they allowed their fear to rule them. They panicked. A bit like Corporal Jones in Dad's Army. Jones has got guts. I don't know what we'd do without him. What are you going to do, Jones?
But we are not blind sheep. We are followers of Jesus, and he is in the boat with us. This is what the very meaning of incarnation means. God in flesh, God come down, not to give us fear, but to teach us about faith. Fear may be the key to panicking, but faith is the key to true discipleship. So Jesus is awoken by the shouts of his panicking disciples. Do you not care that we're about to perish? And they discover that Jesus is not in fact sleeping. He is resting in the arms of his Father. He's not so much a tired saviour as a trusting saviour. The first thing he does when he awakes is to shout himself. And he shouts at the weather, and we read in verse 39, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace! Be still! And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He spoke the words, Peace! Be still! And the storm died down, and calm was restored to the sea. Jesus was resting not because he was uncaring, but because he believed his Father had it all under control. And as Christians, during this crisis, we need to model our faith and trust on Jesus. He knew that above the storm was a loving, heavenly Father, and that he was in control. So God is in control, even when it seems our world has gone mad, when we're ravished by a virus and fear, God is in control. Jesus knew this, which is why he slept so soundly, even during that storm. I remember back in 2011, I was in the back of a dark Hercules aircraft, rumbling its way up to Kabul, where I was about to visit the headquarters and some of the bases there. And I was asleep on my uncomfortable canvas chair when I was awakened by the excited cries and nurses and noises by a bunch of journalists who were flying with us. And we were directly above the Hindu Kish mountains. And there was an electrical storm around the aircraft and we were being buffeted by the winds and light was flashing through the small portholes into the dark interior of the aircraft hold. And these journalists were getting more and more excited by all this and the turbulence and the light and the, and the flashing of the storm and the lightning. And as the aircraft shook, but I was more battling against tiredness than I was against fear. I had a very busy week. And so I left them to their shouting and to their gest gesticulating and went back to my uncomfortable red seat and fell back asleep. I thought to myself, God has got this. I'm in his hands. I need to get back to sleep. And God has got this situation. We must not panic like those with no faith or hope. Our faith is not in pasta and loo rolls. Our faith is in the living God. But then Jesus doesn't just shout at the storm. He also shouts at his followers. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, fear is fundamentally a faith issue. We are lacking it when we give in to fear. Jesus is in this boat with us. Our God is not one who is far away, removed and distant, looking down in a distracted fashion. We are his disciples, which means we're followers. And how can we follow Jesus if his spirit is not here with us? We, like sensible sheep, need to listen to his voice and stay close to him so we don't get lost like all those sheep running around like Corporal Jones aimlessly. We're not aimless. 
We have a law to follow, a voice to listen to, a saviour to believe in, and he will get us through this storm. And he has the power and authority to even rebuke nature itself. But sadly, the disciples we see in this story display, see the display of power and love in such a way that they then begin to fear not the storm, they then begin to fear Jesus. We're told in verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? But even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, fear is very powerful. And if we let it, it will take over our lives and stop us doing what God has called us to do, to bring love and faith into this world. This whole story teaches us that we have a powerful saviour and he is here in our boat with us. And he trusts his father and so shall we. So it's not so much as Alistair MacLean wrote, fear is the key. For us as Christians, faith is the key. Believe in him and trust in him in all situations. The Bible gives us this wonderful verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And God doesn't want you to fear the situation, but to trust in his love, for you to draw closer to him in love and faith. He is here with us in this boat, and he wants to bring calm and to rebuke the fears and the storms in our minds and make us stop, to, and stop us from sinking and being overwhelmed by this crisis and to remain above the surface with him in a calm boat. God loves you more than you can ever possibly know. And God has got this. Let's not panic or give in to fear, but stoke the faith in our hearts and in our minds and rest in Jesus. During World War II, in the city of, well, the city of London was involved in that terrible blitz and was bombed for many, many months. A sign appeared on a notice board to one of the London churches and it said this, if your knees knock, kneel on them. If your knees knock, kneel on them. So let's pray. Let's ask for courage to help us be the neighbour we need to be, to bring love and calm and peace into our communities and into our world. And let's bring Jesus with his peace and his calm into the storm. Jesus can calm this storm if we let him. Amen.